the mindset needs to be, I, I've got these goals. I want to look at on a regular basis. And it comes back to that mirror. You know, you talk about the also the reticular activating system that what you get in your mind is what you're going to see and focus on. You just where your energy is going to go where your focus goes. That you know, one of the big things is focus on these things of I'm like, oh, the market's bad, lending's hard, capital raising's hard. Well, if you sit there and you kind of ruminate on that, you're going to move that direction. You say, hey, there's challenges. Let's look at what's right in front of us. What can we change? And let's change that thing. Let's focus on that little small step and uh, move forward. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Nick Espinet today on Elevate. And in today's episode, you are going to learn the foundation of a growth mindset and how that can help you scale as a real estate investor, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a father, as a mother, as a person that cares about other people, as a person that is challenging yourself to live life at the highest level and become the greatest version of yourself because that person does exist. And also what you're going to learn today are some tactics, some strategies, some tools on how you can solve problems in your business and your real estate portfolio today. Also, how you can put your portfolio in a position of optimal performance. There's a lot of tools, tactics, and strategies that we talk about in today's episode. So I want to encourage you to buckle up and get ready to take notes because there's many distinctions from today's episode. Welcome to Elevate Podcast. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And guess what? What does what raising the bar mean? It means go higher. It means try harder. It means think bigger. And by the way, that's where it starts. It starts in your mind. It starts in your beliefs. It starts in the way that you're striving for something big. And you know what? It feels a little bit uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable to think, well, wait a minute. I already jumped that high. You're telling me you got to raise the bar again? Well, yes, there's always another level. You're going to learn that today, that there's always another level. And there is another level for you to reach today. So I wanna encourage you to think bigger. Let's set the intention today that we are going to expand, we are going to elevate. I want to invite you to pay the fee. The fee is to pay it forward and share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab the link, send it in a text message, email, post it on social media, tag myself, tag the podcast, tag your friend, who it is that you know would benefit from the realization that everything can change when you shift your perspective from fixed to growth mindset. And that's the foundation to expansion within real estate, within your money, within your lifestyle, within your dreams. And once you make that shift, everything can change. But I wanna encourage you to think about who is it in your circle that would really benefit from hearing this conversation? Who is it that may really benefit from understanding, you know what, that middle-class scarcity perspective versus the abundance mindset or the abundance wealthy mindset. What, you know, what an amazing shift that could make for them. So please pay it forward and pay the fee for this episode. Also give us a rating review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts, because you know what, we can't do this without you and your feedback and your endorsement for others 
is so, so important. So I just want to ask you from the bottom of my heart, if you have not done that yet, I want to thank you for doing that. And I want to invite you to do that now. Please do that. And also, you know, I just want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for being here because, you know, you are the reason why we do this. We're here to pour into your cup. We're here to help you expand your horizons to gain the appropriate insight to make, you know, the appropriate shifts in your business, not only in your strategy, your application, your team, your structure, your tools, your systems, but also in the way that you interact with problems in the way that you access the infinite resourcefulness and creativity within you. So if it's your first time listening today, thank you and welcome to Elevate Podcast. We are here to pour into your cup. And by the way, there's 290 plus other episodes that you can dive into immediately. And when I tell you that we bring the heat every single time, if you've been here before, welcome back. With all that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to Nick Espinette, who is the founder and principal of Thrive Multifamily. And he's got a tremendous profile in years of experience. He's got almost seven years of experience in multifamily real estate, 10 years of experience as a small business owner, and 24 years experience managing physical therapy teams. So you're going to hear about how he leveraged his background you know, in, in going to school and getting good grades and getting a good job and shifting, make a tremendous shift in his late thirties to living a financially abundant life that we've all found through real estate investing. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Nick Espinette. Nick Espinette, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How you doing? Hey, doing great, Tyler. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. My pleasure. No, very excited about our conversation and really diving into your story, diving into what you're up to today in the real estate market and really leveraging your experience, which is going to be, I think, very relatable to many of our listeners. So let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory, because I always like for listeners to really understand who exactly we're talking to before we really dive into to tactics and tools and strategies and, and expansion. But let's start there with your upbringing, and your backstory. Great. You know, I grew up a middle-class family, working parent, you know, blue collar working parents with, you know, the mindset that I was the first one of my family to have a college degree. So, but it was that get, you know, do well in school, go to college and get a good job, but also a little bit of the, the blue collar mindset of, oh, wealthy people get it from taking from others, more of a, not the abundance mindset, but, you know, like a lot of people, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad at one point, and that really shifted my mindset on how uh, we should treat money and how money works. So that got me, um, you know, just exploring different avenues. Um, and that was probably in my late thirties. It, it took me a while to finally realize that I, you know, I was in the rat race of, um, I went to school, got a degree in a uh, master's degree in physical therapy. You know, it's a great profession, but it also, it, it is a little bit physical, you know, you, unless you get into the, the business side, you're, you know, I started thinking what, when I'm 60, is this what I want to be doing or even 50? And so started pursuing other avenues, mostly just looking at what I wanted to do for retirement. And then that's how I got in, into real estate investment. And uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad really changed my mindset on how, you know, we can get money to work for us instead of working for it and making someone else wealthy. Yeah, let's start there because man, that is um, so relatable to so many people, really that middle-class background and the scarcity mindset, which is almost the underlying factor that you're, most of us are not aware of, you know, we're not conscious of that sort of belief system that really is an underlying mechanism of many of the driving behaviors or decisions that really kind of surrounds that culture. So, I mean, when you started to realize that shift, which was, you know, when you look back, it may be, it may seem simple, but 
you know, in that moment, it is absolutely profound. It almost changes everything, changes the way that you look at everything from scarcity to abundance. So when you became aware of this line of thinking that, you know, money is not limited, opportunities are not limited. There are ways that you can structure your life. There are ways that you can design the way that you make an impact towards other people, the way that you leverage your resources. What happened for you? I mean, were you first kind of thinking, man, I feel like I'm behind because you were talking about being in your late 30s or what kind of went through your mind when you started to kind of unlearn everything that you had known for so long? Definitely. The first thought was like, oh, crap, I'm so far behind. If I would have started this when I was 18, that was brief. I think I'm black. I don't know if it's natural. I've I've always looked at a more positive like, uh, you know, and I think it's that Madelette says things happen for you, not to you. And I think a lot of the middle class or, or scarcity mindset is like, oh, this bad luck happened, so I'm not going to pursue. And, and I've got to the point now where I don't believe in luck. To me, luck is when preparation meets opportunity or when lack of preparation or stupid decisions um, come to fruition. So you make your good or bad luck um, 99% of the time. Luck is how a football might bounce if it's fumbled. That can go a weird way. But, you know, after a short while, I'm like, I've got to get more education. So it started, you know, at least since my 20s, been a pretty ferocious reader. I quit reading fiction books. And probably in the last 10 years, I've read two or three fiction books. But just sometimes I just need to unplug of something that's not brainy at all. But started reading different, you know, just going down different rabbit holes of self-improvement books, um, mindset books, anything like that, that can, um, would just help me. And then that started out down the path of thinking I was going to do single family investments, but came across two or three different references to multifamily and ended up that that's where I started. My first uh, real estate investment was a, well, I passively invested in a 70 something unit, but the first one that I syndicated was a hundred unit property. I love that. I love that. So you were able to really take quick, massive action as you started to make these shifts in terms of the way that you looked at the world. But going back to sort of the the upbringing, the backstory and leading into a career of a phys- being a physical therapist, a small business owner. I mean, obviously, you know, with 17 years of experience as a small business owner, 24 years managing physical therapy teams, you had a background that you could leverage into this new mindset and this new approach of not only your financial resources and your financial freedom, you know, thinking about that leverage and that experience. I mean, talk to me about how you were able to utilize your experience and and actually allow that sort of, you know, the concept that you shared about, hey, life happens for me, not to me, right? And so to be grateful for that experience and then to leverage that into your future. Talk to me about how you did that. No, great. And having the teams that oversaw, but a lot of it was dealing with patients, the clients we were dealing with, because it's somebody that's injured that often doesn't want to move their joint or limb or get up and walk. So you have to work on their mindset of getting them to move, you know, move when they don't want to. And so having that experience of dealing with people on that level, I think was even more valuable than than managing the teams of uh, physical therapy assistants and that were under me as as employees or assistants was dealing with the, the patients, you know, just working on their mindset of, hey, it, yes, you broke your thigh or femur or humerus or whatever, you, you broke something or you injured something, it's going to take pushing through a little pain to get it better. We've We've got to break it down some to build it back up. So, you know, dealing with people on that level, uh, I think that was a beneficial. And I learned a lot on, on how to interact with people through trying times. And, I, you know, it's it being a real estate syndicator there, you know, it's up and down like this and, you know, capital markets and things like that. There are times where you're like, oh, this 
this sucks. But you know, you kind of re look at everything and you know, what can we fix? What's in front of us? What can we change or alter now? And let's get those small steps and then we can start taking bigger steps to make overall improvement. I love that. And and by the way, I just wanted to point out, I mean, there's such a massive difference in a solutions focused mindset and a problems oriented mindset, because when we look at problems, we find more problems. When we look for solutions, we find infinite resourcefulness and creativity within us. And by the way, that's the foundation. And that's really why we're focusing so much on mindset, mind expansion and personal development in this space. Because if you want to grow as an investor, your success is a lagging indicator of how you're investing in yourself and how you are shifting your mindset and where you're focused focus is going. Because by the way, where focus goes, energy flows. So let's focus on the solutions. And then so as I'm thinking about your story, I mean, you were able to take massive action as you shifted your perspective on really everything from scarcity to abundance, and from how middle class people think about money, and how wealthy families have thought about money for generations. And it's a total shift. And when you make that shift, everything changes. And so as you started to take massive action, talk to me about your growth from there, you syndicated a 100 unit deal. How long was it until the deal after that? The first deal was uh, 10 months. My first deal was in February of 18. And the second was December of 18, 124 unit with the same two partners. And we brought in a fourth partner and closed a, a 224 unit deal in August. And and now I'm up, just closed my eighth deal last November, late November of this year. And it was a 168 unit deal in Arlington. So it's amazing. It has, at times I wish I'd gone faster. We only did one deal in 22, but with the lending and, you know, sometimes it's you don't necessarily just want to check marks up on the wall. You want to make sure they're deals that work. 2021, I was part of three deals. So it, the market fluctuates. So, you know, it's come across. So it's, you know, I'm over 1,300 units total that I've co-syndicated on. And then my wife and I are passively invested in another 13, 1,400 units with other people's deals. Well, it's still remarkable growth. And to your point, I mean, it, no deal is better than a bad deal. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, that's our big philosophy is, you know, we look at hundreds of deals before really one will make sense. And still what you're talking about is really remarkable growth. And obviously, that comes down to massive action, but it also talk, comes down to effective strategy implementation. And so I'd love to really talk about Thrive Multifamily and how are you growing today in today's market environment, not only your business, but your portfolio. I mean, talk to me a little bit about sort of your outlook today and how you're growing in today's market. So one of my big focuses in 23 is being more present in front of my investor pool is getting out sending out drip campaigns, just informational stuff monthly. So that's something I'm really focused on keeping them warm, you know, when there's not a deal. And then we are underwriting deals. There's not much deal flow currently. And, you know, as we're doing this podcast, but I think it's going to start picking back up. So, you know, that goal is to, we have a few target markets. We, in a range and an age that we're looking at that, when those come out, we are underwriting them and seeing if the numbers work, seeing where the lending is. You know, it's considering different lending options that, you know, is it a floating rate now or rates going to be coming back down as we've been going up uh, for a long period or, you know, getting in a fixed rate deal. But that has challenges with your exit or yield maintenance fees could be higher. We don't know where those are going to be at that point. So, you know, trying to navigate what type of loan terms and what works best on a particular or, you know, I think assumptions right now. Um, are attractive. If you can find a fixed rate, low fixed rate loan that somebody else has started and then take over would be a nice option. But if everything went perfectly as planned, which it won't, but hopefully it's close, we, you know, I'd do three to four deals in 2023 in 100 to 200 unit range. And do you focus exclusively on Texas? 
all my deals are in Texas. If I found somebody that I felt would be a good partner in Florida, I would consider doing something in Florida. And maybe even other areas, Tennessee has been well, but I live in the middle of Texas. So it's, you know, it's a great market. So it's, it's hard to, when I can drive, you know, even I have properties in Houston that's being in Fort Worth, it's still easier to drive to Houston than drive to Dallas, go to Love Field. And it's, it's about the same timeline. And I can listen to an audio book or a podcast easier driving, use that time instead of shuffling through an airport. But it's hard to leave Texas when, you know, I drove to a property yesterday to take some pictures of some stuff we're having done is 30 minute drive. It's like, you know, I could get over there, spend 15 minutes and drive home. Whereas if I don't have any plane rides, so, but I, I don't want to let that limit me. If it's a, you know, there are markets I would expand into, but I'm, I'm not actively looking there just because. I have so much right here in our backyard. Yeah, I mean, there's so much value in being in market. I mean, the thing about real estate is you can really employ thousands of different strategies to to get to your outcome. And so, you know, a lot of times you can either look at it and say, live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. And or if the numbers make sense in your backyard, and you have the boots on the ground to be able to source those deals, that can be a huge and amazing strategy. And so talk to me a little bit about your deal sourcing strategy. I mean, how are you coming across deals? You know, there could be some in the traditional sense and the non-traditional sense. So talk to me a little bit about how you are sourcing opportunities in today's market. Uh, traditionally, I do look at emails that come out, but a lot of it is just having built relationships with brokers, having been part of eight syndications. We have the relationships of the brokers that we bought stuff through and, and we're looking at uh, some of our deals that are coming full cycle. Let, you know, they're starting to list those. We've listed one. We're looking at BOVs. We're currently holding off until the lending. We don't have to sell them. We're going to wait, see if the lending gets a little more favorable towards the end of the year. It may help us sell at a, at least, you know, sell at a better price um, at that point. But um, I think the relationships with the brokers are probably the most important thing. It's rare that you get a true off-market where you're the only one looking at it. But if you can be the first four or five people that look at it before it goes out to mass market, and it, you may be bidding against four other people instead of 40 other people that will push the price up. And it's usually going to be other more sophisticated buyers who are going to make reasonable offers, not somebody that's newer and may just be coming out of left field with a really high offer that we couldn't match. Now let's shift gears and, and talk a little bit about strengthening the portfolio because obviously growth in terms of acquisitions is only one side of the business, of course. I mean, that's where really everything starts is when you make an acquisition and you bring a new deal under management, then it's about execution. Talk to me about execution on your side. And, and really what I'd like to focus on is how are you strengthening your portfolio now? Because in some senses, you know, this is still a great market and in many senses as well, there's a lot of challenges out there. So talk to me a little bit about how you are strengthening your portfolio to weather economic storms, to weather market conditions, to overcome challenges. Yeah, great question. So one thing is personally, or on a business thrive level, we are looking at outsourcing some of the stuff, you know, the marketing, the more admin tasks that I've taken care of in the past, so we can focus more on the money parts. But I think right now, holding on to a little more capital just because, you know, to see what's going to happen. It's investors may not like a little bit smaller returns distributions, but, you know, if we can explain, say, look, we're holding back some of this just because these change, we're seeing these possibilities in the market and we'd rather have this money that's yours in the bank and then not need it. And we give it to you in a year or at some point in the future, then us distribute everything out. And then there, there's some changes in the market, our occupancy drops, uh, collections drop, something like that, that just in the uncertainty right now, and we have to ask you for more money or the, the partnership has to loan money, which is going to be expensive too, if, you know, if we have to loan. So it's better to say, look, it's yours. It's sitting here in the bank. 
It's only here for an emergency. And we do try to keep, you know, whereas before COVID, we would hold on to about 30 days expenses. I like seeing two to three months. They're just that first four weeks of COVID when we didn't really know what was going on, two to four weeks. It's like, man, I wish we had more money because if we have to go six or 12 months with eviction moratoriums and tenants not having to pay at the time, the options to take some type of relief from the lender were not, I mean, they were pretty punitive if you had to do it. So we were like, no, only if we're in dire straits, because it's just even paying that back would have been hard. So thank goodness it wasn't near as bad as we had feared. But you know, the first couple of weeks, you're like, oh my goodness, I sure wish I had more cash set back. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, reserves are so critical to be paying attention to in terms of weathering storms and just, you know, sort of anticipating the unexpected. And I love that dialogue between your partners to say, hey guys, we wanna put the investment in the best position to succeed no matter what. So here's the plan and, and you know, trying to be more conservative along those lines. How else are you strengthening the portfolio right now, whether it's from sort of a hedging sort of against, you know, issues or challenges that may be unforeseen or just literally within the operations of your assets? I mean, is there anything else that you would point to? We are definitely watching the expenses. Uh, it, you know, in this challenging time with labor, we've had to crank up our payroll way, well above what we budgeted on anything we bought. Other than this most recent property, you know, I think payroll now needs to be thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a unit, roughly on a, on a BC property. We were underwriting a thousand to eleven hundred dollars a unit, so we've had to come in, and that's in explaining that to our investors, like. You know, yes, we can hire people at a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a unit. One, they're probably not going to be very good, and two, they're not going to be around because somebody else is going to pay them more. So we are having to really push our budget on payroll. So we made a conscious decision that it's well worth it to spend more money on good full-time employees and staff. That's something I think one of the biggest shifts we had is you know we've had to replace a couple of property management companies at different assets, and the biggest problem was turnover. And we saw with the turnover, we were losing tremendous amount of money. When you don't have a consistent manager or maintenance staff, you're not getting units leased. You have vacancy where you're you're not collecting money. It's opportunity lost. We can come in and pay somebody ten or fifteen thousand dollars more a year, which is thousand, two thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars a month. It it ends up being a drop in the bucket compared if we have a good somebody good that's getting units leased and keeping our occupancy in, in mid to nineties is so much more worth it to pay and not have them hired away from you for a dollar more an hour or something like that. Absolutely. Keeping an eye on that, you know, watching KPIs, you know, delinquency, how are we pushing with some of the changes in the law? You know, in Texas, we used to be able to evict much quicker and we've got some 30 day notice. So no matter what, somebody's going to owe us two months rent before we can get them out. So making sure the staff is starting the process on the first day they can instead of dragging that out. And then it ends up into another month. I'm, you know, watching things that, you know, I, I like to check once a month, all our people that are off a lease, have they been pushed up to full market rent and are they paying their month to month fees? These are other things that we can make sure they don't drop by the wayside. I love that. And one thing I'll just, I just wanted to add to uh, some of the comments around the labor market is that, you know, in this business, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to cut your way towards prosperity. And so you've got to have the right people on site and you've got to pay attention to market forces there. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, you can pay below market, but you're going to get much more below market sort of quality and outcomes. And ultimately, in many regards, that's going to lead to higher expenses in, in many aspects. So I think it is important to recognize. And lower lower income, you're going to miss. I mean, if you're at 85% versus 95%, you're missing a lot of income. You'll never, you know, when that day's clock ticks or the calendar ticks in the next day, that day's rent it's gone, never to be captured again. Absolutely. 
Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. And a couple other things I wanted to follow up on. You mentioned migrating property management companies in the past. I mean, talk to me about some of the decision-making factors there and, and maybe give us a little hint in terms of the experience that you had in terms of those, those transitions. I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, sure. help me understand sort of what you've experienced in, in that realm. At the biggest challenge I've seen when we've had to make changes was biggest problem was staff, keeping consistent staff. It wasn't quite this bad, but I said, we have a manager a month. If you have a different person coming in there, you know, you got one to two weeks of tra- even if they're an experienced manager, they need to learn the property and then they're leaving in four to six weeks. They can't get any systems going, can't get uh, communicating. So even your not only your occupancy, but your collections, if they're having to, you know, you know, go out and collect, especially as through COVID, we train some tenants that they don't have to pay on time. It's easier to, you know, they they can drag it out. They're not going to be evicted as easily. You've got to be proactive on collecting rent, uh, knocking on doors, sending messages and setting the mindset. So when we moved our first one, really the second time, I talked to the partner, said, what if we could go back six months, what would we do different? And to a person, we all said we should have made the change sooner. We gave them too much time trying to fix the problem. And it ended up and the new company came in and did great. I'm like, we could have been you know, two months sooner. We could have had this happen. And so that probably number one is if you feel like if you starting to get that gut feeling or that spider sense, you maybe set a 30 day goal. And if they're not making significant progress, make the change. And once you start feeling it, go ahead and reach out to who you might replace, even though you know, you're not binding by talking to them, but go ahead and start the conversation with a couple of other management companies that could step in for you. Our first property was in Abilene, Texas, which is about two hours west of DFW. We took a management company that did not have a footprint there. And that that was a big challenge because they had trouble hiring. They didn't know contractors. So we have set a goal that we will not take a property management company unless they have two to three other properties already in the market, just so they have they already have a network. And they can, you know, if somebody you have somebody out sick, they can float somebody over to you. If you're solo, it's the only one in town. They just don't have the the network or the team to help out. And, you know, when you have that gut feeling or that spidey sense that things aren't working out, you know, I can understand the internal dialogue, whether it's in your own mind or with your partners that like, you know what, but let's just try to see this through. Let's try to work through this, because if we make a transition, we're going to take two steps back before we take three steps forward in a lagging sort of, you know, capacity because it takes time to build that momentum. So I can understand why maybe looking back, you would have said, hey, let's uh, let's do this sooner. Maybe why you didn't do that. But what was it? 
initially? Was it just the the constant turnover of staff or was there something else that, you know, looking back, it's like, you know what, this was obvious. We should have made this decision sooner. Constant turnover staff, which led to our occupancy just slowly going down, not ever seeing new leases signed. I am um, generally will let the staff know when I'm coming to a property, but I also like to just drive. And one of the big marks or measurements is, is the property clean? Because that's the first thing any prospective tenants is going to see. But, you know, we drive up to properties and I wouldn't show up at eight o'clock on a Monday morning. I, if it was Monday, I'd wait till lunchtime or so. But showing up and there's trash. I started carrying that one company before we get them replaced. I'd carry a package of kitchen trash bags in my truck and I would pick up trash put it all together and take a picture and send to the regional and say, this is what I picked up this morning on our property. And so, and that was, you know, things like that was indicated, but the biggest is seeing that uh, they're not getting collections. So your delinquency is ticking up because you all of a sudden a new manager comes in, she's got to figure out who, what notes are going on. You know, apartment one, two, three hasn't paid, but they said they're going to pay on this date. They're starting from scratch with all that. And then as occupancy was just slowly going down. And, and if you wait till you're at 88 or 87, it's a big ship that's already moving in that direction. And you're probably going to go to the low eighties before you get it turned around or you need to cut rent. You know, it's, it's, and that comes back to not having staff because it look, we're dropping, let's do a couple of units. Yes. We may lose money on it, but we're, Right now, we're getting zero for those units. And and then another thing that we were challenged with is I would pull up the availability report, and we had a lot of units that had been vacant for a long time, and they weren't ready. To me, if a unit's not ready, it's stabilized. I mean, you should be, a bad unit should be seven to 10 days. If it has some stuff in it, a good unit should be made ready in three to five at the most, probably less than that. But that is another report I'll look at is availability report and see if we have units that are you know, more than two weeks and are not ready. Like what's going on with this unit? Is it in bad shape and we need some materials ordered for it? Or is it a staffing issue? Is what's going on there? So that was a, another measurement. That property dipped into the 70s, the one that was doing the worst, which before we fired them, I was out trashing units. You can't do this on a, this was a 124 unit property. I, I trashed some units. I was like, cause, and I went and walked every vacant. I took over project managed till we get the new company on and walked every vacant unit and took no, really solid notes and then rated them like easy at the top. I really horrible ones are at the bottom. Let's start knocking off the easy base hits we can get here and get those done. And then we'll worry about these bad ones when we, we get all these easy ones cleaned up. And oh, that I thought of something you talked about, you know, in the moment when we're looking to change, I think with a growth mindset, you see a problem like, man, we got to fix it. We got to fix it. And sometimes we get in that mindset. We don't want to look at, we may need to pivot and go a different direction because we're you know being driven. We want to keep plowing ahead and get something fixed where sometimes we need to, we might need to make a, a turn to get there. I agree, man. And one thing I'll say too, just to add to the conversation is that these are like cruise liners. I mean, it is, it takes a long time to turn in a different direction. Like if we're going in a negative direction to be able to go positive, it takes substantial amount of resources, effort and momentum and takes time. And so to your point about all of these different things, I mean, all of these different factors, whether it's make readies, staff, whether it's, you know, really getting clear in terms of what is not happening to get us to the occupancy level, to the performance level that we have set forth. I mean, it takes a lot of resources. And so if you were to kind of look back as well and, and say, all right, well, were there any indicators of the management company that just didn't work out other than, hey, maybe their their lack of, you know, activity in the marketplace? Is there, are there any other factors that you could have identified prior to engaging with them uh, that may have put you in a position to be successful and not have to make a transition? As we've interviewed new, what I've learned is 
Do they have a presence? Talk to some of the people at those other properties. How long has the staff been at those properties? Like our Abilene properties, when we switched to the company, they had three or four other properties. We talked to that staff and 80% of the staff had been there for more than eight, seven, eight years. So that told us a lot about the company. They're doing something to keep people. Now you may not have that because some of these apartments turn over quicker, but most of their ownership that's already out there are long-term holders. So that gave us a lot of confidence that they had long-term employees. When I had to do it at one in Houston, that was a smaller company that was growing tremendously. Maybe looking at that, because I think sometimes these small, mid-sized companies have a great success. And then everybody talk, oh, property management XYZ is great. All of a sudden, you know, it's a good thing, but they just blow up. I think sometimes they need to turn people away too. That was, I feel like what happened with our Houston management company is they they just exponentially grew. We only had one asset with them where some others were bringing in portfolios. And understand, we we may not have got the most attention, but we should have. But if they've got somebody that has 10 times more properties than us, they're probably going to get the first attention, then we're going to come down. It's, you know, they're taking care of the one that has bigger. But And so I think just having long-term stable employees, regional, you know, what what's the regional to property ratio? How many properties is your regional going to be over? And how big is that footprint? They may only have five properties, but if it's San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas, that five properties is hard to get to on a regular basis. But, you know, if, if it's seven or 10, but you're within inside the loop of Houston or Dallas, it's easier to, to make frequent visits. Really good insight, Nick. And I think the stability factor that you pointed to really comes down to it, it almost indicates that there's a positive culture or a culture of, you know, retaining talent and supporting that talent, giving that talent the resources they need to succeed over the long haul. So there's definitely a lot to be said about that. And then in terms of just the structure and the practicality of that structure, I mean, think about that. These are advanced questions that we should be asking prior to engaging in any relationship with a property management company. This is really good stuff. I'd love to kind of switch gears just slightly, but in terms of operations still on the same thought process, one of the things that's uh, top of mind for many investors right now is insurance, because insurance has really, really shifted uh, over the past couple of years. In particular, we're anticipating some tremendous renewal increases. And so let's talk a little bit about how you're navigating those waters. So, you know, we had 20-ish or 20% or higher increases almost across all of our properties. And they we were told to expect almost the same next year. It is underwriting new deals. It's not that, I mean, we can underwrite it and, I, and I'm wanting us to plug in. Let's show a 10% insurance even for year two and three and another thing we're getting any these older properties that still have federal pacific panels i've heard of a couple of instances where the insurance not necessarily the lender insurance coming saying we're going to drop you if you don't replace all these and you're looking at roughly a thousand dollars a panel and that's if you don't have to move them out of the closets because the city code which is going to add another four or five hundred dollars so you know, a tremendous expense so we're going to go ahead and plan on doing that at the front end on our recent acquisition we had it in our budget we're going to do it over time but we got notice from the, our insurance that if we don't get these uh, 52 panels done by March 20th, they're going to drop us. So they gave us about four to five weeks, even though we had it, we were starting to, to get bids and we didn't think we were under that much of a, a gun. But you know, now let's go back to our properties we've already owned and it's going to be communicating with investors and saying, look, our, here's our insurance. Conventional wisdom at the time was you know two to 3% growth per year increase on that, but it has gone astronomically, you know, it's been the freezes. This is the last freeze we had in Texas and um, right before Christmas, there's one of our properties we're having to file a claim and I'm sure there's others 
that was a property in Houston that had froze enough to have pipes break. That's going to add, that was these insurance vendors that already told us we're going to have a 20 to 30% increase next year. And then we had this next freeze. So it's a challenge. And then I, I'm very hesitant to buy anything in the coastal counties of Texas or even south of I-10 in Houston because insurance providers are very nervous about that area. My understanding is down to maybe two or three people that'll even carry those. And so there's no competition to them, but you know, you're looking well over a thousand dollars a unit. If you're getting down in Florida, it's somewhat of the same way because almost all of Florida is coastal for the most part. It's a challenge. You know, we're looking in DFW, $650 to $700 a unit is where we're penciling in to start with. And we're going to add a 20%. 30% increase to 2024 as we're underwriting those. And there may be people that'll come in and, and not do that and beat us, but we don't want to get caught with a big increase now that we know it. I mean, the properties we bought two, three, four years ago, we have to resolve that, you know, come up with a solution. But if we're buying something now, we need to be planning on a big insurance bump. Absolutely. And going back to the earlier part of the conversation, you know, this is the, the difference is, all right, we, should we focus on this problem? this problem of, you know, tremendous insurance increases, or should we focus on the solutions? Because there are solutions. We may not have them to have groundbreaking sort of shares on this podcast today, but there are solutions out there, right? There are outcomes that we can sort of figure out as we continue to work through these issues. And so that really is where the mindset comes into play and the collective mindset of your partners and your team, because ultimately there is a solution for every problem, including this one. You know, one thing I'd love to talk to you about are, you know, before we talk about sort of how you're investing in yourself and how you're continuing to condition your mind for success, talk to me a little bit about some tools, some systems, processes, or things that you've adapted or adopted within your business over the past few years that have been most impactful for your continued growth that are allowing you to scale the way you are. Monday.com has been great to track things, keep order. You know, I try to keep a fairly consistent, you know, generally, you know, my morning, uh, I can't, can't even recall who I got this from, but try to set aside. I know it's Jesse Itzler. I heard talk about this. You know, have the morning set a time. It doesn't have to be morning, but morning's best because the further you go in the day, something's going to get in the way. But he said, um, what would you do if you, you were oh, just insanely rich, didn't have to work? List some things, 10 things that you really are important to you, like hanging out with your kids, um, you know, doing something spiritually, working out, things like that. Now pick two or three of them and make sure you do those before nine o'clock or eight o'clock. Pick a time in the morning to get those. So I've really tried to focus on that for a personal growth level now. And then business-wise, it's just we have set up a list of KPIs that we check weekly, two or three times a week, some that we do monthly and try to just, and then I have that set up on monday.com to remind me that that's probably one of the biggest help, you know, just setting reminders, because if you start getting enough of them, it's, and we're starting to look at, like I talked about earlier, outsourcing some of the admin stuff, be to a VA or somebody, an assistant. And that, that's something I wish I would have started earlier, but you know, it's, we didn't. So we're looking at getting that going now because, uh, you know, I've realized that I spend a lot of work, a lot of time on admin stuff that I don't need to be doing, but I also have the mindset of, I guess the type A, I don't know what you call it, but if, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done right. Or, Oh, it's going to, I just had this conversation with a partner this morning. I'm like, I can get all this done in as much time as I'm going to have to train somebody to get it done and maybe not get it done right. But what I need to think is I can train them. Yes, it's going to take as much time now, but next year when we need to do this or six months, they're ready to go. Right. I can understand that mindset. I think many of us have gone through that because there are disappointments along the way. When you find the right leverage, you find new team members, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work out. And so then it's, 
comes back on you and all the training that you put in, then it feels like a sunk cost. It feels like a waste of time. And it feels like it now has taken you twice as long. But the question that I would challenge any of us, you know, who are listening to this conversation would be, is this belief limiting you or serving you? Because in my opinion, that is a limiting belief that is holding you back from attaining greater levels of success because the right people are out there. You just have to keep looking. And by the way, every single time there is a setback, there's an opportunity for you to rise to the occasion and recognize that you're being tested. Your commitment is being tested. How committed are you to your goals? And so, you know, that is a, it's a helpful dialogue for us to all kind of put on the table and observe and say, you know what, that's not limiting me anymore. So let me continue forward. Let me show the universe how committed I am to that outcome. One of the things you talked about was recognizing and, and really keeping sort of your awareness on your KPIs on a weekly basis and even biweekly. Talk to me about what are those KPIs that you're really focused on? So uh, we mentioned some of them earlier, and you know, obviously occupancy and collections are big ones, but then your delinquency, is that ticking up? The big thing with delinquency is by the end of the month, is it where it closes? But I like to look, is there anybody that owes more than a month rent? You know, if you're looking at, a, especially C, someone in the B, once they get above one and a half, two months rent, the odds that they're going to, without somebody coming in and giving them the money, that they're going to scrap and get it back together or slim. And then looking at if they own, is the on-site putting in notes, delinquency notes. You know, I'd like anybody that's over $500 delinquent, I want to see an at least weekly update before our, our weekly calls. And then um, so delinquency, you know, the month-to-month thing I was talking about, I'd probably run that. I don't do that every month, but every couple of months, just to make sure. One thing that we try to do quarterly is look at um, if... Are we paying electricity for any occupied units? Because when the you know the units roll into our the electricity rolls into our name, they should be switching that before they give a key prove that they have the, the electricity in their name. Now our new company, this is the company we replaced, was bad about it. So I don't check as often because we haven't found it, but it's still something I like to pull up occasionally. I wish I had my report in front of me. So the another weekly, uh, you know, oh, the availability report. That's one I like to look at uh, right before. Or some properties we do every two weeks, some weekly. I'll pull that up. And it's, again, if there's something that says time not ready and how long it's been vacant, it's more than two weeks. I want to know what's, you know, what's the story with that one. And and this is stuff that I need to train a, an assistant and say, here at this uh, number, you send it over to me. It's a process. And then um, I have a list of these somewhere. Another quarterly is monthly when we get our, our financials. I'll look at the budget variance and see if, you know, anything that's significantly off there, have they put a note? If not, you know, why, why are we out of budget on this? And I want them to put monthly. They'll do year to date and month to date, mostly the month. I mean, yeah, it's important yearly, but what are we doing monthly? Why are we way off on on an expense? What, what caused this? Is this a trend? I will look at on those same ones. What does the T3 look like to the T12? And especially the ones where if we've replaced a property management company, it's nice to see, oh, we're our T3 is 25% better than our mostly on the income side because expenses are so seasonal. But I still look at the expense T3 just to, have an idea of where we're, we're trending. This is good stuff, man. Let me just say real quick. I mean, what you're describing is a pulse of the portfolio. And one of the natural laws of money is that money loves attention. And what you're talking about is placing your attention 
on critical matters that are driving results in your business, that are driving return on investment for yourself and your partners. And there are so many great shares there. So appreciate you bringing that up. And I want to talk a little bit about how you're investing in yourself, because as investors are placing capital in deals, placing capital with other partners and achieving return on investment and, you know, migrating and navigating challenges and getting to the other side of challenging problems and getting to solutions, we've also got to remain consistent in how we're investing in ourselves. So you were talking about the priority in terms of doing things that you would do if you had unlimited resources before 9am. But how else are you investing in yourself? Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. I'm in a um, masterminds that help with mindset. I'm actually missing one right now because of shoulder surgery. So I'm, I have a little FOMO of seeing some of the pictures of my peers down at this mastermind, but where they go and talk about one growth mindset, but also industry, if it's multifamily uh, directed focus. But I think getting in front of people who, you know, you are the average of the five people you're hanging out with the most, but being around other people with growth mindset, but also that are been had success. I've been in this market industry longer, so I can pick their brain. I have a, a group, you know, the mentorship group I joined in, um, there's a smaller group within that that we we have uh, calls every two weeks, and it's great. Sometimes I'm like, man, this and these are guys that have owned two, three, four times as long as I have. So being able to hear them and or come from a you know a, a blending background, development background. So just having these guys that have had there's knowledge and then there's wisdom type knowledge. And these guys have that wisdom, experience, knowledge that you don't get just from reading a book and implement. They, they've lived through different downturns. And so I feel you know just blessed at times to sit and chat with those guys or sometimes listen to them, chat them on themselves. I'm scribbling notes down going, oh, we've got to do this, you know, something I want to do on my properties. But I, I think getting around other successful people that help with with your with your growth mindset and with your functional mindset of owning the property. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting. We have these mirror neurons within our brain, within literally the biology of our brain, and it wants to regulate based on what we see around us because there's this innate need to belong to a tribe. And when we're intentional about who we're spending our time with, there's literally biology that's regulating us to be more like the people that are around us. So as we are aware of that, then we can start to be intentional about who are we spending our time with. One of the things that you've mentioned a few times is growth mindset. And, you know, I'd love to really kind of dive into that just briefly before we transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast, because, you know, you've mentioned that a few times. But first of all, I'd love to know what exactly does growth mindset mean to you? And then what does it actually do for you? Talk to me a little bit about that. So I think the definition would be that you can always improve. You're never at the peak of something, you know, even an athlete, we just had the Super Bowl recently that there are guys in there that are some of the top athletes in the world, but they still keep working out. They still keep going to the gym, running, working on their nutrition. We as uh, entrepreneurs, or we need to be one surrounding our people that are going to stretch us, that aren't the crabs trying to pull us back down in the bucket. So somebody is saying, no, you can do more. You can you know, push more. Or you're seeing their success going, I'm, I can do what they're doing. It's not just settling for where you're at. You're expanding and growing. So what I and I think the second part was what am I doing to to get that? Um, you know, it's reading books. I love reading. It's being with other people, joining masterminds or mentorship groups that will push you. Having my shoulder surgery done, that was weird. I'm I'm mirrored, so I felt like I was reaching at the wrong side. I'm having you know, doing things that to improve yourself physically, spiritually, mentally. And that's you know, I'm part of a workout group that meets at 5 30. They do it six days a week. It's outside no matter what. And that I'm missing it right now, but that's a good group of guys that push pushes to do something hard every morning. 
you know, in holding myself accountable for some of these goals, setting goals to say you may not get them, but putting goals that are, you know, they're going to push you. And if you can get 90% there, you've still done pretty well. I'm not, or if you only get 50% there, you've still made some progress forward. The mindset needs to be, I've got these goals. I want to look at on a regular basis. And it comes back to that mirror. You know, you talk about the, also the reticular activating system that what you get in your mind is what you're going to see and focus on. You just where your energy is going to go where your focus goes. That, you know, one of the big things is focus on these things of like, oh, the market's bad. Lending's hard. Capital raising's hard. Well, if you sit there and you kind of ruminate on that, you're going to move that direction. You say, hey, there's challenges. Let's look at what's right in front of us. What can we change? And let's change that thing. Let's focus on that little small step and uh, move forward. Absolutely. And this shift from growth to fix, you know, from fixed, the fixed mindset of, well, I made a mistake, so I'm a failure and I can never do this. And I just can't go where these people on these podcasts are going. The growth mindset says, I currently have this problem, but this there's gifts within this problem. And I receive those gifts when I work towards finding the solution. And I'm of the belief that all human beings were designed to go big. And there's always another level. You know, if you look at somebody, maybe some of your mentors, people who have been in the business for four times as long as you have, you know, the people that you look up and you say, man, these there's just unbelievable innate wisdom that they've gained over the years. There's another level for them. There's another level for everybody that you admire. And there are so many additional levels for ourselves. And by the way, I think one of the foundations to living a fulfilling life is expanding through that growth and finding comfort in being uncomfortable. So I just really love those shares, Nick. I wanna transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the Rare Air Questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. In many aspects, I'd love to see this growth mindset become even more common. I think we're starting to see more momentum around it, which is very, very exciting. But I'd love to ask you a few questions before we wrap today. You mentioned one of the things that you are doing to invest in that growth mindset is reading. So talk to me a little bit about maybe two or three of the most impactful books you've read over the past few years and why. Um, definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as we mentioned earlier. And then I've just recently finished Ed Milet's, uh Just One More. That was a great book on how to push. I loved. Uh, David Coggins, You Can't Hurt Me, just seeing what that guy could do. And then just finished a book. I'd actually read it a second time called Endurance about Shackle Ford, the guy that was trying to be the first person to go across the South Pole, but their ship got locked in ice. They spent almost two years adrift on ice and then made this, sailed through the Drake Passage, which is one of the roughest bits of ocean in the world, um, in a 22-foot boat. It was just crazy. And anytime you think, oh, I'm cold, these guys, I think the warmest it ever got in the year, almost two years, was 37 degrees. That was in the summer of the time. So these guys are living in tents right around World War I. You think you're doing something hard. I'm like, man, our challenges are minuscule compared to living for a year and three quarters in a tent in the Antarctic and then selling this tiny little boat to hit a little small island. It's insane. So that, that was a great book. It's a new mindset. I try to mix in a, a history or a biography or something like that of you know, people that have had challenges. I've got start with a why. I can see it back there. I've, I've got that on my to-do, but the who, not the how was a good one that I recently read. Also, the gap in the game. And we just had uh, Ben Hardy on the podcast uh, talking about both of those books. And yeah, those are those are amazing books, but great shares. And, you know, talking about biographies, I mean, that that can be extremely helpful in your journey as well, just to see, you know, what challenges other people that you admire throughout history have overcome. I mean, I'm reading uh, John D. Rockefeller's biography. It's called Titan right now. And it's it's amazing. I mean, you want to talk about scale. You know, that is an individual who scaled beyond in, in many of our wildest dreams. But there's 
there's so much context there, but we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books. And by the way, the book that you shared about the guys living in the, you know, the extreme cold temperatures and doing what they did and Drake's passage, that can shift the way that you think about challenges. So, you know, conditioning your mind in this capacity to say, you know what, if they did it, I can, you know, that's a very, very helpful context. Uh, I'd love to ask you if you were to point to, you know, the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would that be and why? One of the things I, I try to cold plunge every day. I haven't been able to do it for my shoulder surgery, but that that's one of those sitting down in 50 degree water is a mindset shift to get your brain to do it. And then staying in that water for 20 minutes is another long time. Once I've done that, I'm like, all right, there's nothing else that's going to be that much more challenging. And then I think consistent exercise or physical activity too. And I'll throw a third, and I need to be better about this is having some type of spiritual, you know, I need to be as a Christian need to be in the word more, but if somebody else has another way, but having some way of a, a meditation or something like that is, I think is important for people just to get by mindset, reading each day, doing those things. Like I said, talked about with Jesse Itzler is picking two or three things that I want to do on a consistent basis to kind of take care of myself first and not in a selfish way, but I think it's kind of putting the oxygen mask on in the airplane. If I can do those things, it makes me a better father and a husband and a, a team member. I agree. I call it selfish selflessness. And you've got to treat yourself first, invest in yourself first before you can really show up for the people that you care about and, and others around you. And that leads me to my next question, which is what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I think one is being positive. I mean, not overly cheesy positive, but try not to break people down, find their positive attributes and encourage. You know, it's, I try to, when I go on property for our, our on-site people, try to only encourage them. Even if I see something, unless it's life or death, I see a problem. I'm going to go to the regional and say, this needs to be fixed. Cause you know, those guys are, I think they get really nervous when we walk on the property as owners. We're just, they don't realize they still have that fixed middle-class mindset. Oh, these guys are ultra wealthy. Da, 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 da. It's successful. Like, no, we're, we're regular people. You're doing regular things. So I try to be really kind to them but, and then educate people on the growth mindset. You know, try with my children to, to not be like, Whoa, you know, this bad thing happened. You know, it's like, no, this thing happened to you. Let's find a solution and let's figure out how to, to move forward with it. And you can grow from it. It's, you may have gotten knocked back a step or two, but your decision is going to be to walk, to wallow in it and not improve, or you can be stronger from it. I love it, Nick. This is awesome. And I just want to acknowledge you for, you know, paying it forward with this growth mindset and, and leading other people in that, because I think that's really what it's going to take for us to see a transformation across the world is for each and every single one of us to live by example and to lead by example. And I want to acknowledge you for that. I want to acknowledge you for continuing to challenge yourself and push your own limits and continue to expand within this business personally, professionally, so on and so forth, as well as a father and as a spiritual individual yourself, man, this has been a a lot of fun. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? No, first, thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed it, Tyler. You know, something that just light bulb turn on is talking about failure too. Failure is not a bad thing. I think society forever, don't fail a test, don't fail, don't fail, don't fail. We teach, I start with my kids and with our team. It's like, we're going to take chances. Let's don't blow something up, but failure is okay. And we want to celebrate failure. And you go back to the greatest inventors, Edison failed at the filament. 10,000 times or something like that. But if you're trying and you're failing, I think is a great thing. It, it's when you're not trying, you're not growing. And yeah, you can go through life and never fail, but you're going to stay right in a very narrow lane to do that. So get out of your lanes a little bit, try something different and fail at it. 
pick your, don't stay down, get up, dust yourself off, look at what could you have done different? Where can you pivot and, and do try it again with it, something different? Man, that's awesome. And it reminds me of the quote that failure is not fatal. And by the way, success is not final. So, you know, you can never rest in your laurels, but you can always look at every day as an opportunity to grow, whether it's a failure, whether it's a success, because there's always another level. Nick, what an amazing conversation today. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Where can the listeners find you and learn more about what you do? You're welcome. And I appreciate you having me on. But my um, website is Thrive Multifamily, T-H-R-I-V-E, Multifamily. And then through there, you could uh, there is a link to access a um, calendar. We could set up a call. Or um, my email is nick at thrivemultifamily.com. Now, Nick does not have a K. It's just N-I-C. Nick Espinet, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll put links in the show notes is where the listeners can find you. And until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on Elevate. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Elevate Nation, what a great conversation with Nick Espinet. And I just want to thank him so much for sharing really so much behind the scenes in terms of decision making within the business and also behind the scenes in terms of the way he's thinking. And I love just the basis of the growth mindset that he has really forged in his life because there's such a shift. And no matter what you go through, there's a gift. And by the way, am I a poet? I don't know, maybe I'm rhyming here. I'm talking about shifts and gifts and who knows, I'm like Dr. Seuss on the microphone here today. But uh, I just wanted to highlight that because at the end of the day, the growth mindset is the foundation towards our expansion in our lifestyle and the way that we're leaving an impact for other people around us. Because, you know, if we're fixed, then, you know, if we try, we will fail. And, you know, if we fail, then, you know, we're a failure. But guess what? There is always an opportunity to grow. There's an, always an opportunity to expand. So I just want to identify, I want you to identify what are your top three takeaways from this episode? You know, there's many for me, whether it's in the tactics of the business, whether it's recognizing the KPIs and paying attention to the pulse of your portfolio and really keeping your focus on that and making changes within the operations of your business, your decisions based on where things are trending and turning around that cruise line or ship, you know, to the positive direction. You know, those are some takeaways, but what are yours? What are the biggest takeaways that you realized through this conversation? What was said or what was not said that you thought about as a result of listening to this conversation, because those can be distinctions as well. And sometimes we've got to read between the lines to really understand how can I integrate this learning and this wisdom into the way that I'm operating my business, the way that I'm living my life, the way that I'm making an impact on other people. There's so much value here. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because repetition is the mother of all skill. And by the way, if you listen twice, you're going to learn twice as much or more. And I also want to encourage you and invite you to share this episode with a friend and have a conversation about what it was that you learned, what the distinctions that you took away from this episode were, and how you are making shifts in your business, how you are channeling the energy of solutions oriented focus rather than problem orientation or rumination. And as you do that, take this forward and take the commitment, the challenge of taking massive action, because ultimately that's where the real success from investing in yourself today comes from is about taking what you learned and integrating and applying, taking massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.